0: At North Point Community Church, we are passionate about helping our community move toward a life fully devoted to Jesus, and we hope this message helps you do that. Thank you for tuning in. Good morning. We're glad that you're here, who are watching online. We're glad that you're here in the house. Happy Memorial Day. Um, Memorial Day is, a, is an interesting holiday. It's uh you know, when you're growing up as a kid, it just kind of is, oh, that's the beginning of summer, and you don't think much past that. But uh, if you know people who have given their life so that we can experience freedom, it has a different kind of an impact, right? Um, how many How many of you have had a family member or a uh, friend who has actually died in service given their life for the country? Yeah, thank you. Um, you know... Many of us know people who serve, and we're grateful, so grateful for people who serve. But it's uh, there's something very tangible, something very powerful about um, recognizing that there are people um, who have given their lives. And I, I would just want to encourage you to take some time and remember uh, this this weekend those people who have who have sacrificed for us. It's it, as a follower of Jesus, it's kind of an interesting thing. Memorial Day for me is is uh, is an interesting thing because. It, it it connects very well to Sunday morning because every Sunday morning for us is a sense of Memorial Day as well right because we remember that Jesus sacrificed that he gave himself for us and uh, and went to the cross for us and so uh, we remember him as well uh, really cool thing um, for me that the, the um, Memorial Day I, as a Growing up as a kid, I remember my, my parents going and decorating the graves. It used to be called Decoration Day, I think. Um, my grandfather enlisted in the Army, uh, I think when he was 18 years old, uh, to go fight in World War One. He went to basic training and got the Spanish flu, which is kind of relevant in the whole pandemic deal. He spent the next six months in the hospital. By the time he was well, the war was over. Um, but his... Sacrifice his willingness to run towards the battle, that, that made an impact on our family. That's, uh, you know, it, it, it built in some of the DNA of who we are as a people. And that concept of being willing to run towards the battle is, that, that's something that we embrace, right, as followers of Jesus. We don't run away from the battle, we run towards the battle. And today's message is really about someone who, who did that in a way that it dramatically changed their life. When they said yes, it, it impacted not just their life, but their life for uh, the, the generations of their family into the future as well. If, um, if you have your Bibles, take them out, turn to Judges, the book of Judges, chapter six and seven is kind of where we're going today. Um, we've, we keep talking about how Jesus is working in our lives, right, we've said, our, our mission is that, that um, we, we want to help all people move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. Our vision is that everybody who sees Jesus working in their life would be, the, everybody who owns North Point would see Jesus working in their life and that they'd be talking about it. It's, it, it's kind of comfortable to say, oh, Jesus is working in your life. It's a little more uncomfortable when we say, Jesus is working in my life, right? Because when Jesus is working in my life, he turns everything upside down, right? He changes the game for us. And this particular character that we're looking at today, man, it turned his life upside down when God began to do things in his life, when he said yes. Today finishes our series called Old School Teaching where where we've looked at um, events from the Old Testament and said, okay, what can we learn from that? And how can we still apply those things that are old, but they're still true? Next week, we start a new series called Crazy Talk that's uh, from the from the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If you wanna read that in advance, that would be great. But uh, much of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount is like crazy talk. It's like, what did he say? Did he really mean that? Crazy talk, but we hope you'll be here for that. But today, we finished this old school teaching, this uh, looking at at events from the Old Testament and saying, God, what do you have to say to us today about that? Um, if you have a Bible, be sure and, and um, open that up because you're probably going to want to read in, in Judges 6 and 7. If you've got the North Point app open, you might open a Bible app as well so you kind can kind of scan down through the story and see what's going on because we're going to cover those two chapters that describe this guy's life. Here's the setting as, as we dive into it. Israel has left Egypt. They, as a nation, they've moved out of Egypt. They've moved into the Promised Land, and um, and and as they moved into the Promised Land, they've kind of forgotten about God. They've turned their back on Him, begun to worship idols. Um, this is about eleven hundred years, roughly, before the birth of Jesus. If you want some historical context, it's about 250 years before uh, what we, the, the event that we looked at last week with Elijah and King Ahab um, that, again, just kind of puts some pieces into place for us. Judges chapter six starts out this way. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that they left the Israelites with nothing to eat. They basically came in and ravaged their crops, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. The enemy hordes were as thick as locusts, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So there's these people that come and, and just oppress the Israelites. Anytime they plant anything, they would steal their crops Um, They they come in and kill their animals. They take everything away, and the nation of Israel is in bad shape. Verse 6, so Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to God, out to the Lord for help. Israel had turned their backs on God. They had begun to worship other idols, worship Baal, worship Asherah. Um, they, had, uh, they had forgotten all that God had done in their lives, the way that he had protected them, the way that he had led them, and they'd turned their backs on God. Um, but the Midianites come in, and they begin to put the pressure on the Israelites, and the Israelites begin to feel it, and they begin to starve and just are in a horrible way, and then they cry out to God. That only happens with the Israelites, right? When things get bad, they turn to God finally. I I think the story rings so true for us because it's so easy for us when things are going well to think, oh, it's all about me. Oh, I wanna do this, I wanna do that. And when things get difficult, when things get bad, then we're saying, God, where are you? So many people in our culture, their, their picture of God is that he is that he's a tyrant, that he's mean, that he's evil, that he just wants to thwack people on the back of their head, that kind of thing. They don't know the God of scripture because what you see in this is this God who is compassionate and merciful and he is holy and righteous. He's true, but man, he wants to respond when we call out to him. Verse seven when they cried out to the Lord, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. They're in trouble. And they say, help. And God says, okay, I just wanted you to ask. And, and when God responds, if you're looking down through those verses, God, re- God reminds them of his faithfulness to them. He reminds them of the ways that he has taken care of them in the past. And he reminds them that they're the ones that have turned and begun to worship idols. God sends an angel to this guy who's in a wine press. So he's he's in a secluded area where they would press the grapes to create wine. And there he's threshing wheat because if he threshes wheat out in public where he normally would, the Midianites are gonna come in and steal their grain. So this guy is hiding in secret, all right? He's doing it in a way that the Midianites won't see him. And look what happens. The angel of the Lord appears to this man named Gideon and says mighty hero. The Lord is with you. One of the translations say, valiant warrior. God is with you. This guy who's hiding from the bad guys, who's just trying to save his family, just trying to have a little bit of food. Mighty warrior, mighty hero. Um, Here's the first old school teaching that I want you to hold on to. It may be old, but it's still true. God saw Gideon for what he would become, not what he was. God saw Gideon for what he would become. When he says to him, mighty warrior, is Gideon a mighty warrior at that point in time? Not at all. He's just this guy trying to get some wheat for his family. But God saw him for what he would become. And here's the thing, when you begin to apply that to us, understand that God sees you for what you can become, not just what you are right now. So many of us say, man, God can't use me. I've got all this garbage. I've got all these problems. I've got all these issues. My body doesn't work. I, you know, I can't communicate very well. I, 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 I get in my own way. And God says, mighty warrior, I've got a job for you to do. God sees what we can become not just where we are. We're trapped oftentimes in our circumstances and God sees beyond that. There are um, God, God sees us differently than we see ourselves. You understand that? He, he sees us and says, you're a world changer. You're a difference maker. Man, I can come in and use you and, and, and everything can be different. I, you're a person of character and integrity even when we feel like maybe... We're not at all. Um, There are are four letters that I think are interesting letters in our alphabet, I-C-N-U, that when you put them together, they create this little sentence, right? I see in you. I see in you. God says to us, I see in you that you're a mighty warrior. I want to challenge you this morning to when you think about the way that God sees us to begin to think with that same mindset. And and to begin to say, God, what is it that you want me to do? How do you want me to interact with other people and to say to them, I see in you something special. I see in you a life group leader. I see in you maybe somebody who can open their home to people and have them come in. I see in you somebody who can invest in the lives of teens or children. I see in you someone who can make a difference in their workplace how, how can we begin to encourage each other to hear the voice of God when he says, mighty warrior, I've got a task for you. The second bit of old school teaching that I want you to see today is this. Um, and again, it may be old, but it's still true. God's call for Gideon wasn't random. God's call for Gideon wasn't random. This angel appears to him in the wine press And it seems like it's a little bit out of the blue that he says, mighty warrior, I've got this task for you. But the thing that God speaks to him about is something that has been on Gideon's mind probably for months and maybe for years. Look at verse 13. Sir, Gideon replies to the angel, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Gideon says to the angel, what's the deal? You're saying that that God's gonna be with me. Where is God in this? When we look at the world around us and we have this sense of, 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 um, of draw to a particular thing that God might use us for, oftentimes we say, God, why aren't you doing something in that, why aren't you making a difference in this place? Where have you been? If you were real, you wouldn't let that happen. That's exactly what happened with Gideon. Gideon said, I'm living in the middle of this oppression, and God's called me, but if God's called me, that doesn't make any sense, because where is God in this? And all throughout that, God is saying, you are the person to make a difference today. You're the one that I'm calling. Gideon saw the problem. He just didn't know that God wanted him to be the one to make a difference in that particular issue. Here's a question for you. What's what's on your mind? What's in your heart today? When you look around the world and think, man, why is it that way? Why is it so bad? What is it, what what in your frame of reference troubles you? What is it that you're saying, God, why don't you do something about that? Is, Is it maybe human trafficking? So maybe people caught in addiction. Maybe, maybe it's kids that, that just grow up in a rough situation in foster care or whatever. Maybe it's people who carry burdens from their past. Maybe, maybe the burden that you have is, why can't, why can't the youth league for my kids be better? Why can't it be more wholesome? Why can't, why can't, why can't they be taught in a different kind of way? Maybe it's it's injustice, racial injustice, judicial injustice, economic injustice that just eats at you. And, And you think, God, where are you in this? Is it possible that God could be saying, mighty warrior, you've been put in place so you can make a difference. It may not be the biggest thing on your mind. It may not be that thing that's always there consuming you. But it's there. And you know it, and you feel it, and it gets in your gut, and it makes you want there to be change in the world around us. You know, God calls Gideon, and, and here's the thing. It's really interesting to me that God personally issued and affirmed the call of Gideon. God says to him, you're the one who's going to make a difference. Look at this in verse 14. The Lord turned to Gideon. The Lord turned to Gideon and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. That's pretty direct, right? When you look around at the world and you see the problems, God says, I am sending you, turns toward you, helps you see it. God didn't call Gideon's cousin. He didn't call his father. He didn't call his friends. He didn't call his buddies. He called Gideon and said, go in the strength that you have. I'm sending you to make a difference. Verse 15, but Lord Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. I'm least in my entire family. And God says, and the Lord said to him, I will be with you. And you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. I am with you. Look look down through those verses again and look at God's repetition. He turns towards him. He says, I'm sending you. I will be with you. I'm going to be the one who gets you through this. That sense of call that you have to make a difference in the world, it doesn't have to happen. It, it's not going to happen on your own strength. But God wants to show his power through you. Um. It's uh, when I was studying through this. There are several things that that just really jumped out, out to me. One is this: when God calls us, um, there are some times that He affirms that call in big, in big public kind of ways. But with Gideon, every affirmation that God has of the call of Gideon is a private one. Um, four different times in the text in, in chapter six and seven. Does God affirm the call of Gideon after He's called him? The first thing Gideon says to the angel, hey, "You know what? Stay here. I want to make you a meal." So he goes home and bakes, uh, cooks some some stew up, has some broth, all kinds of stuff. He brings it to the angel. The angel touches it with his stick, and it bursts into flame. That's the first affirmation where, where God says, "Look, yes, I'm calling you." The second and the third one are the are kind of the most famous things about Gideon's life, where, where God is calling Gideon into battle and Gideon says, God, I don't think I'm the guy, but if, if you believe I'm the guy, I'm going to put this fleece, this wool out on the ground and I want it to be wet in the morning and the ground to be dry. And he wakes up the next morning and the ground's completely dry and he picks up the, the fleece and he wrings it out and, and, it, and there's a bowl full of water in, this, in, the, in the fleece that's there. Gideon says, God, I'm still not sure, and, and says, if I'm really the guy tomorrow, let the ground be f- filled with, with dew. Let it be wet, and let the fleece be dry. And he wakes up the next morning, and that's and that's what happens. The fourth time that God affirms Gideon, Gideon goes with a, a servant, and they're ready to go to battle, and he sneaks into camp, and he hears this guy telling about this dream that he has, and 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 his buddy interprets the dream and says, you know what? Gideon and his army are going to wipe us out. Four different times. None of those are big public spectacular kind of things. They're all small conversations that God has with Gideon that says, you're the guy I've called you. You can do it. I say that to say this, when God calls you to a task, you may not hear from anyone else, but if your eyes are open, if you see Jesus working in your life, you'll sense that confirmation of the call that God has given you. Gideon's first step of obedience was a big one. God says, I'm going to free the Israelites from Midian because of you. Here's what I want you to do first. I want you to break down this uh, idol to Baal. I want you to cut down this Asher pole. I want you to sacrifice a bull on that wood to me. it was a scary call that, that God gave Gideon. He knew that there was going to be opposition to what he did. He knew that the opposition was going to come from his family, from his dad, and from his cousins and his extended family. But that's what God called him to do. Verse 25, that night the Lord said to Gideon, pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God put that, that bull on it, sacrifice it. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded. But he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. When God calls us, we just need to be obedient. That Understand that that first step is a scary thing. The first step of responding to God, whatever that is, is always a scary thing. It's a hard thing. The, the decision that we make, I'm not going to do that thing any longer. I'm going to do this instead. That decision where we say, I'm going to say yes to God in this matter. That's scary. But God will be with us through that process. When we take that first step, God will begin to surround us with people who also believe in the vision that God has given us. It's interesting when you read down through the text what happens is the next day the village wakes up, the Asherah pole's been cut down, the altar to Baal is down, and everybody freaks out. They say, who did this? We're gonna get him. And Gideon's dad, who has been a worshiper of Baal, Joash, says, hey, shut up, okay? Um, Basically, he says, um, you know what? If Baal's real, he can defend himself. But if you worship Baal, you're gonna die. this is the person that Gideon was afraid of. When we respond to the call that God gives us, he will begin to pull, draw people towards us who have that same kind of vision. And with that obedience comes greater opportunities. Um, after, after, Gideon, after Gideon knocked down that altar, after he cut down the Asher pole, um, interestingly enough, things got worse, not better. Uh, look at verse 33. Soon afterwards, after this happens, the armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east form an alliance against Israel and cross the Jordan, camping in the Valley of Jezreel. It's no longer just the Midians that that Gideon has to fight. It's three different nations combined together. When we say yes to God, it doesn't mean that everything's going to change in an instant. It may get worse. But that doesn't negate the call that God has given us. Um, it's seldom going to be easy. It won't be without opposition. Verse thirty-four: Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. He blew a ram's horn as a call to arms, and the men of, of the clan of Abiezer came to him. He also sent messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, summoning their warriors. All of them responded. Do you ever wonder what a ram's horn sounds like? This is a ram's horn from my friend the cars. Um, there are different kinds of ram horns. Um, but the sound carries a long way. Now, if I do this right, Um, it was a warning cry, right? Yeah. Thank you. Give it up for me. Yeah, (laughs) Haven't played a trumpet in 50 years, but, uh, it's still the, the lips there. Um, Here's the thing, when God calls us to do something and we respond, people who have that same burden begin to gather. When Gideon sends out the call, when he blows the ram's horn and sends the word out to Israel to say, we're gonna fight the Midianites, you know how many people respond? 32,000, 32,000 come and say, that's a mission I can believe in. Um, it's, uh, when, when we articulate a vision, people Gather around that. I, I love what's happening in Dewitt right now. There's a there's a place called House of Promise that Sherry Montgomery um, had this vision to say, I want to make a difference in the lives of women who are being um, human trafficked, who are prostitutes that want to come out of that. I, I want to help them get out of that life. And people have gathered around that vision from from Sherry Montgomery, and there's now a home where where women who come out of prostitution, can live and and can learn skills and can make that transition. The vision calls people. God didn't call every one of those 32,000 to be a hero. He called Gideon hero. But the 32,000 responded to the vision that Gideon cast. Um, here's, here's Here's the heart of the message that I really want you to hold on to today. God plus a little is more than enough. God plus a little. When we say yes to God, we may not have much, but when we give God what we have, God will take that and multiply it and make a difference that will change the world that we live in. That may be old, but it's still true. Look at chapter seven, verse two. The Lord said to Gideon, you've got too many warriors with you If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. And so God says to Gideon, hey, you know what? Just tell everybody who's scared. They believe in the vision, but they're scared. Tell them to go home. And 22,000, so 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. Two-thirds of the army went home. Now, we learn later in chapter 8 that the army of the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east was 135,000 strong. If I'm a general and I've got 30,000 against 135,000, I'm not liking my odds at all. And God said, tell everybody who's scared, go home. They do, and you're left with 10,000 against 135,000. That's even scarier, right? Right? And God says, you know what? There's still too many. Verse four, but the Lord said to Gideon, Gideon, there are still too many. And Gideon marches the army down to a brook and 9,700 of the 10,000 get down on their bellies and drink from the water. Just put their their head in the the water and and drink. And 300 of them reach their hand down into the water and look at their surroundings while they drink the water. And God says, those are the guys that I want to, to fight this battle. Three hundred, and Gideon had to be saying, hundred thirty-five thousand, three hundred. Those are not good." And God says, "You know what? I want to show my power." Just a side thought in this: Did the did the ninety-seven hundred do anything wrong in this? Not at all. They just weren't the people that God had called to make to 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 win the battle. God God took them out. He moved them away from from the battle because. the 300 were the right people. When God calls, gives you a, a call, a task that you, want to, that, you, that you want to pursue, and lots of people join that task, lots of people see the vision and say, yeah, 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 that's what I want to do, and then they start filtering away, don't be discouraged by that. God is going to bring the right people around you to accomplish what he has called you to do. God wants to show that he can do more with less Than 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 um what the world might think is possible. He's gonna strip away our strength to let us know that he's the one with the power. You know, I I was thinking about this and thinking if if you're a project manager and God calls you to a task, um it's probably um it's probably it's probable that he's going to accomplish the task through somebody who manages that project in a way differently than you would, that doesn't have much skill because he's going to show his power through that. If you're, a, if you're a great orator, if you're a great teacher, whatever, God's probably going to use somebody without much skill to speak truth into the situation because God wants to show his power. There was a guy in the middle of the uh, 1800s named Edward Everett who was a famous orator. Everybody in the United States knew who this guy was. He had this, this big voice, resonant baritone tones, and, um, and people came to hear him speak over and over and over again. Um, There was, uh, in the middle of the Civil War, there was a a memorial that was created for a a battle uh, in Pennsylvania, and he spoke at that battlefield for two hours that day for the crowd of people that were there. He had all the skills, but then this tall, skinny guy got up after him and spoke for two minutes with a shrill, high-pitched voice. That guy's name was Abraham Lincoln, and his two-minute Gettysburg Address is what changed the heart of the nation. We still know it, read it. Everybody's forgot, forgotten about, about Edward Everett, but Lincoln, God used in that moment um, to communicate truth. Gideon only has 300 men. He's still not sure that, he, that he's the right guy, and so God says, if you're still scared, you go sneak down into the enemy camp, and he does, and he takes one servant with him, And as they're at the edge of the camp, they hear hear one of the Midianites say, I had this dream last night where this this loaf of barley bread came rolling down the hill and smashed into our tent. And his buddy says, oh man, I know exactly what that means. That means that Gideon's army is going to come in and destroy us. We're in trouble. Gideon... Is affirmed by that call and goes back and says to the Israelites, man, God's given the Midianites into our hands. But here's the thing. If, if God calls you to a task and somebody says, ah, I had this dream and this is what happened. And you go, that's really interesting. It's, it would have been very easy for Gideon to dismiss that dream, right? What's that got to do with us? Gideon was in tune with God enough that he recognized that God was communicating to him for a very specific purpose, affirming the call that he had, and that God was going to give the Midianites into their hand. Uh, chapter seven, verse 19, Gideon, Gideon divides his army, his little 300 guys Uh, is 300 men into three different groups of 100. They've all got a ram's horn. They've got a torch and they've got a pitcher that covers the torch. Uh, Verse 19, it was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the 100 men with Gideon reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly, they blew the ram's horn and broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hand and the horns in their right hand, and they all shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horn, the the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. And in those three different encampments of the Israelites, as they surround the camp, what happened was 120,000 Midianites killed each other. And the Israelites didn't have to do anything at all. God showed his power. God in a little makes much. Um, God doesn't need the biggest and the best. He just needs people who say yes. So much of the time, we think, you know what? I don't have the skills. I don't have the ability. I don't have the tech. I don't have, I don't have all this stuff. And God says, you know what? Just be faithful to what I've called you to do. All it took was torches and clay pots and horns. And the Midianites were defeated. Um, I, I want to I finish the message with a video this morning, and it's, uh, it's a promotional video for the Global Leadership Summit, which we're going to host here in August. Um, I, I want to use this video because it communicates a very specific truth that connects to this message really well, and, and that's that when we say yes, when we say yes to God, God takes what's little and makes much of it. Take a look on screen.
1: I started Compassion That Compels and Compassion Bags as my two sister-in-laws and sister bravely battled cancer in four years. What I privately did for many years had a very huge impact, thanks to the Global Leadership Summit. After a Facebook post gone viral, we received 23 requests nationwide for Compassion Bags. I had a decision to make. I either respond to these 23 women, or I close my computer and I turn my back on 23 women bravely battling cancer. Well, the decision was easy. The impact that the Global Leadership Summit had on me, well, not only did it resource me, equip me, but it took me to that next level. It took me to that level that I could coordinate a nonprofit, not just centralize, but move it nationwide and be able to reach more women in the battle of their lives. And now, 715 women later in 31 states, we've been able to just make a huge nationwide impact. If you wanna be equipped, Empowered. If you want to take your life, your dreams, your business to the next level, then the Global Leadership Summit is for you.
0: Here's the thing about Christiane Stewart's um, message about how what God called her to do. She said yes. And then she was able to go and get the resources that she needed through GLS to help her take those steps. GLS, is a, is a, it's a great tool. But the, but the thing I want you to walk away with today is what is it that God is calling me to do? That I'm making excuses, that I'm thinking, hey, he can't use me. How, how can I say yes to him and recognize that God is calling me to something much greater An issue that's there in my heart in my life that I already know about I'm convinced that God wants to use North Point that God wants to use us that he's equipped us to change the world you're part of that let's pray Father God we thank you for Gideon for his example that he didn't have to win the battle on his own that it was with your power God I thank you that Gideon's story is not really Gideon's story it's your story And the story that we think is our story is not really ours at all, it's yours. God, would you speak to us? Would you guide us? Would you help us take that first step so that you can show your power and draw people to you? In Jesus' name we pray.